Greetings, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Wormhole Manifest podcast. Um, you guys, if you've listened before, you know the deal. I like to interview different guests every show and uh, bring back some original guests that have been on previously and, uh, you know, to get some good info out there, figure out who they are, what's going on in the world, and all that. Uh, the reason for the Wormhole Manifest is I am the Wormhole. Uh, the Wormhole is a uh, thing that can tr help you traverse space and time. Um, once your name is on the manifest, just as if you're traveling anywhere, uh, the the journey through the wormhole will begin. And wherever we come out, that's uh, always sure to be entertaining and an, an educational adventure. So without further ado, uh, tonight's guest, you should know already, um, he's been here several times. Um, and I'm always happy to have him back. I'd like to welcome back Jay Jones, Yay. aka Adjective underscore J from the Frown Town podcast. Welcome back, Jay. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you for having me. What have you been up to? Oh man, <laughs> so much. Uh, no, actually, um, I, I'm ha I'm happy to be back. Uh, I'm actually kind of doing a lot of the same stuff. Uh, stand up is still going pretty well. I guess since last time I was here, I started a show in Seattle. So I, I don't know if I told you that. Ooh. Yeah, so I, I have I have I have a show that's going in Seattle that happens every month. It's called the Blackout. It's uh, the only all black comedy showcase in Seattle. Uh, wow. it, it also might be the first one. I am not sure if there's ever been one before this, but for right now, I'm claiming it as the first one. Uh, we are. This is our fifth show coming up in August uh, on the 25th, and we have sold out every show uh, so far. Though there are still tickets left for August because it's on the 25th. But so far, we've sold out every show. So you know that's been going wow. pretty well. Yeah, that's been going pretty well. A lot of a lot of time and energy been going into that. Um, and then obviously, Frown Town been going pretty well. We got uh, I think we kind of hit a stride. We're at like episode one twenty seven or one twenty eight, depending upon depending upon whether or not to get the numbering correct. Um, but no, that's been going pretty well. Uh, and then you know, stand up is going pretty well. I got gigs uh, pretty much all, all over Seattle. Um, August is going to be a little slower now because I've ran through all of my stuff earlier. So I had a bunch of uh, sets and gigs earlier in the month. And now I have like one left that's happening actually tomorrow. So by the time you hear this, it's probably going to be too late. And the next ones are all in September. But that is all going to be up. Actually, I think it's up now on if you go to jjonescomedy.com, uh, you can see all that. So yeah, busy doing a lot of stuff. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that everything's going well. Like I know that I mean I I I mentioned the uh the episode numbering and I was <laughs> like I felt bad because I haven't listened in so long. Um and, and my me and my wife Rachel were like I, I was checking it out earlier. I'm like, okay, how far are we behind now? You know, like, cause for a while <laughs> we were keeping up with it pretty good, especially at the uh like God the beginning of the that. like pan pandemic and everything when we were and doing two episodes like, a week I, was, I don't know how you were doing that that's i don't know how we were it, doing it it was it was a lot i mean you know the the whole pandemic thing was just like i i mean listening to your show honestly was what was really inspiring me to get back out here and and, and start doing a show uh plus with all the like breakthroughs i was making with my mental health 
struggles and all that, I was like, I really need to do something creative. And, and, and Jay and V are doing this awesome show. And I'm like, I'm just going to hit him up and be like, how do you make your show sound so good? You know? And we just kind of went from there and, and, and you've been on a few times here and, and it's been a great time. And every episode we've done is, has been just a great conversation. And, uh, yeah. I've gotten good feedback on it. Like it, it oh, it, it's just amazing, man. And, and I, I kind of took a break for a little while, like uh, a couple months ago, and and now I'm I'm kind of getting back in the flow. So I'm like, I want to get this back going. But but the uh, the show that I listened to earlier today uh, of yours of Frowntown um, was about the uh, the veterans and that bill mm-hmm. that had you know gone through. Oh, or yeah, the Unruh Pact Act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That unfortunately, and, got dice in the Senate. Right. And, and that was like something I had been watching recently on the news. And that was the whole like John Stewart thing was he was speaking out about it and, you know, in DC and all that. Yeah. And I was like, what, what the hell is John Stewart doing? You know, I'm like, first I didn't even recognize him. I'm like, Oh, oh that's John Stewart. Now. Yeah. He's so I'm like, old Holy now. fuck. Like it's old dude. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's awesome though. And I'm like, glad he was there and I'm glad he's doing that stuff. He and I'm like, and then when I, a lot of effort for veterans, like he, he shows up for them uh, consistently and I think he's he's really dedicated the time since he's been uh, you know and off I camera. I didn't to that. realize that. And, yeah. and me being a veteran, like I'm I'm I knew there was a reason why I liked him a long time ago. <laughs> you know, just because he just he just lays it out there and he's he's funny and you know, uh just straight shooter, straight with it, just lays it mm-hmm. out. And I'm like, that's cool, you know. But like this just kind of solidified it, that whole thing of like, okay, I know he's cool now, you know. He's 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 fighting for the me from 10 years ago, you know, the guys that were in and doing stuff and, and your show. And when you were talking about the, uh, the burning and stuff like that. Yeah. The funny thing about that was like about two or three weeks ago, um, my daughter couldn't come over on movie night. Mm -hmm. Um, so I have my two sons and they're older than my youngest, my daughter. So I'm like, okay, I think maybe now might be an okay time to kind of, show them a movie that's a little different than our normal, like kind of funny comedy or sci-fi fantasy kind of, you know, stuff that yeah. I grew up with in the, in the seventies, eighties, nineties. Um, I wanted to show them something a little deeper, you know, something yeah, a little like more some tragic. Yeah. And what I showed them funny enough was the movie Jarhead. Oh, and it was, and and that movie, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays a Marine, mm-hmm. and it shows a pretty good representation of the burning, you know, yeah. the, the the burn pits, burning of the, the stuff, the burn pits, and and the guys that I knew because when I was in the Marines was obviously after the Gulf War, so I wasn't in Iraq and stuff like that. I, mm-hmm. I joined several years after that, in 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 the mid nineties. But the uh, the stories I heard from a lot of the guys that were still in when I was first joined, they were like, "Yeah, it, it was yeah that bad." And yeah. when I saw Jar Jarhead, you know, I was like, "Okay, I want to go see this. It's a movie about Marines. I am a Marine. Let's see if they got it right." You know, but even though I wasn't in that situation, thankfully, you know, thank yeah. God that I wasn't uh, having to do that shit. But the uh, the boot camp part, I could totally relate with i was like immediate like flashback like oh my god like <laughs> but uh 
but I wanted to show my kids that movie and, and uh, it maybe it been a little too soon. Um, my oldest son's 16. He's, he's kind of, he's autistic and um, mm-hmm. there's, you know, it, it's just a little different. And my, my younger son is 14 and he is very intelligent and smart and he gets things, but I don't know the whole thing with the, the Gulf war was just very tragic and a lot of I, elements. And I don't and know. Nec- and- I, I don't know necessarily if that is, and I guess, again, I'm not a parent or an expert in any way, but I don't know if necessarily it's a bad thing. I think some of the most impressive things about movies and film are that sometimes they present themes to us that challenge us to think, that challenge us to reason. And yes. in some cases, thank you. It, yeah. you may not get the answer immediately. It's not like you're going to watch the movie and be like, well, I know the moral of that. But I think it gives you an opportunity to understand a perspective that uh, in all honesty, you may not get the chance to experience. I think, uh, especially if you see, uh, I think Jarhead and then uh, the other movie that resonates for me is, um, was it Full Metal Jacket? Uh, the boot camp yeah. scenes on that. The rest of the movie is meh, but the boot camp scenes, I think on that, I think some of like uh, the understanding of what happens in a boot camp and how someone who is a soldier, especially like someone who was drafted, into it and how that that affected them and seeing like the what what some of them may have under undergone and, and went through having that like reference point can help you understand them a little bit better it can help you relate to yeah. them a bit better you don't have to fully understand the experience to have a bit more empathy for them knowing that they went through something similar to that and i think it's it's difficult to watch in the moment and it can be very challenging but i think it, there's obviously there's there's ages where you don't need to be your movies don't need to make you ask questions yeah and I get that but I think uh, yeah yeah I think there's also pure a, entertainment <laughs> right and, and there's there's you know not just ages but there's also times where it's like look I don't need to think right now but I think there's also a good it's a good idea to like you said to kind of introduce your children to movies that are going to confront them with the world that we live in and I know that there's an overarching overarching drive to try to keep your children as innocent as possible for as long as possible. And I 100% am for that, but there's a difference I think between innocent innocence and naivete. And I think you can keep your children innocent by not having them uh, glorify or participate in the glorification of violence and, and of like horrible evil things. But you can also make sure they're not naive to the fact that there are bad things in the world that they understand that choices that they might make can have repercussions and consequences that they may not foresee. Mm -hmm. And by helping them see that and understand like, Hey, if you decide to, for instance, grow up to be a soldier, there's nothing quote unquote wrong with this. I did that, but do know that the consequences have long lasting effects. There are things that you will see and experience as a soldier. That is part of the sacrifice that you make to go serve your country. And that sacrifice, hopefully you understand before you make it. I think a lot of times when people sign up for uh, armed service, they don't understand that level of sacrifice. And and fortunately, there are movies like Jarhead. And then, you know, obviously there are veterans who have the opportunity to share that experience. Uh, But I I think the thing that that really kind of struck me the most about the whole burn pit situation, and I I promise you I'm not going to dwell on this because I know we have other stuff to talk about. But uh, the thing that struck me the (laughs) most about that, and I I said this during the episode, and I I was kind of furious about this, is that this wasn't uh, like an enemy attack. This wasn't 
uh, you know, like they were they were under fire, and you know they they it, if someone was trying to kill them, and they suffered long term consequences from that. Right. No, this was literally the long term consequences of us just not thinking through how to deal with trash and not caring about the land that we were invading. And so because we didn't care about the land or and clearly about the people who were around it, the way we decided to get rid of trash and, you know, with MREs and with the way the military is set up to function, things are built into a very individualized package. So you can take it and eat it right there for that day, for that time, right then. Things are rationed yep. away and there's a lot of plastic involved in that. And all of that's just getting burnt to the, to the dirt and all the munitions that you're burning instead of like figuring out a way to move them or figuring out a way to like set up a supply chain or even like, I don't know, since we're so comfortable selling arms to people, sell them to somebody who's an ally, figure out a way <laughs> to do something with these other than just like blowing, like just burning them. And then the, the right. on top of that, all of the damage that happened to uh, veterans who had to deal with this. So this is completely uh, America's fault. Not like we were under attack. It's just we sent them there and then we got them sick. On top of that, to then force them to prove that this very toxic thing they had to do is what caused them their problems when many yeah, of them are in like exactly. stage four, stage five cancer is despicable. And like, it's it's just, that's why John Stewart was furious on TV. And honestly, we yep. all should be because it's, it, it's absolutely, we sent them there to, to serve and they went there voluntarily and willingly. The least we can do is when they need us is be there for them both voluntarily and willingly. And we are not. And it's sad that it's like that. And it, it kind of bums me out because I have family members. I have a brother-in-law who's active right now. I had my, my grandfather was served. I have uncles who served. Both my grandfather served, actually. So, like, I mean, it bums me out because I know so many veterans and I've seen so many veterans who had to undergo the same treatment when they, they did not drag their feet to go fight for America. And it just makes me sad that America drags its feet to fight for them. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, sorry, yeah, I said I wasn't going to exactly. spend some time on that. <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right, man. And it's it's and the the making that point of that it wasn't a um, combat related thing, or you know, it wasn't like Vietnam. You have the veterans yeah. now that have like the Agent Orange, which again, um, you know, was issues. <laughs> yeah, and and it's like all this crap. You know, it's like they. It seems like a lot of like if it was a company working, if you were a private security person working for a company and you got caught up in some shit where the company was like burning a bunch of toxic chemicals or whatever, and mm -hmm. you got sick from it, it would be considered like an occupational hazard. Like you work for the company. They know they have to reimburse you or do whatever is necessary yeah. to take care of you for being in that situation while you were on the clock working for them, you know, like they know it's their responsibility or should know their HR and whoever else should be like, you know, yeah, he was on the clock. He was right there. That whole incident took place and okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll cover whatever, you know, is happening and whatever comes by in the future, you know, like, mm -hmm. but you're right. The, the thing with the, with the, the armed service members that were in these situations and, you know, made to stand out in the desert and like burn shit, you know, literally shit, you know, yeah. like burning literally toxic, shit. you know, fecal matter and stuff and whatever else, like you said, like the MREs and stuff. Munitions. Man, I, I miss MREs kind of. 
(laughs) I got to say, like sometimes like really some of those, (laughs) but they block you up so bad that you're just like, fuck it. I don't ever have to go to the bathroom again. You know, like (laughs) I just, I could just keep walking another 40, 50 miles, you know? Yeah. That's, that's why I don't, I never care. And also there are very few of them. I think I cared for the taste of, and I I know. And so I never served, but like, I love uh, army supply. Uh, surplus. <laughs> I love army surplus stuff for a long time. Like uh, I would just hit like army surplus stores, and it'd be like, oh man, I'm getting duffel bags, I'm getting MREs. And it was just, it was just a thing I was into for a bit. And so like uh, I would always grab MREs out of army surplus just to see like how they, like just to see what they were, what they tasted like, and kind of play around with them. And some of them are like yeah. it's, it's, it's. It, I think the process of preparing it makes you like excited for it. So you're like, oh, this is gonna be good. <laughs> And then once you get it ready, it's not as it's not what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is this was only I, okay. I have, I have so many stories about MREs. It's it's ridiculous. What was like your favorite? The, MR, the MRE bombs that we would make in the desert, like we, you know, you take like a tall uh, one of those tall like it's almost like a forty ounce water bottle, you know, uh-huh. plastic water bottle. And then you take the heater element that is in the MRE that's made to like, you just add water and yep. it causes a chemical reaction and starts to heat up your food in the little pouch that it comes in. Yep. Well, we would take that pouch and shove it into, we would roll it up and shove it into a water bottle. And then you fill the water bottle up with uh, shaving cream, like shaving foam, you know? Uh, and, <laughs> And then you would uh, you'd fill that up, and then you'd pour the the smallest amount of water into it, and and seal it shut. And then you find some unsuspecting airman or something that is like you know we're Marines, we're on one side of the base, yeah. and like the Air Force is on the other, you know. And you can like go down there and like lift up the side of a tent and throw it under like someone's uh, cot. And then close it and then run a few tents down and just wait. And you just wait <laughs> and listen. And they'll be like, holy fuck, what the fuck was that? Like, holy shit, you know, ridiculous <laughs> stuff. And it's like, like in the movie Jarhead, they started playing a lot of stupid games because they were like bored. They yeah. were like out in the desert for like weeks with nothing to do. Nothing at all. You know, so yeah. they're like playing football and the news is out there. Like, the, the Gulf War was one of the first wars where we had like almost constant like news coverage yeah. of the front, you know, like it hadn't happened like that before. And so it was new to everybody. And so they're just out there filming these guys and Marines start just acting like a bunch of lunatics and doing crazy shit. But, you know, that was I was in the desert in uh, in 98. I was in uh, Egypt. And uh, we uh, got bored because we were doing a practice. I don't know if you heard of Red Flag. Red Flag is a thing that takes place uh, between all armed services out near uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. And it's an air wing specific um, practice. It's a uh, it's a joint service um, aviation practice. exercise basically. Mm -hmm. And so they have another one that was called bright star and it was a joint service thing that took place in Egypt of all places. And, uh, I was there for that in 98 and Mm -hmm. it, if you, if your planes aren't flying, I was working on C one thirties at the time, but if your planes aren't flying or if they are flying and they're gone on like another away mission or something like that, 
Like you are literally sitting around doing yeah, nothing. Nothing to do. Yeah. Waiting, you know, and and you know, you're going to like the, the big a, giant tent chow hall and seeing all the different forces like Navy and Air Force and it's a weird wait too, because it's it's not I don't think you can fully relax because you are theoretically in uh, on a base in the middle of active combat. So you're not like, just like super relaxed. You're, you're still kind of a little bit tense, but then you, you just have nothing to do. And there's not, yeah. cause the base is so temporary. There isn't anything really set up to give you something to do. Occasionally I think you get lucky and they put up a basketball goal and like, maybe you can play around on that or like, you know, they give you a football, you can play that. But even then, you know, you have to have guys to do that. So it's just, you, yeah. If it's just you or you and another person, how much fun is it just to throw a football back and forth? How long can you do that before it's just like, well, this and is I'm, just I'm not boring. even like a sports fan and I don't even ever play any kind of sports. Yeah. But we were out in the middle of the like our flight line, like throwing a football. Just and, for something to do. Yeah. yeah. That's why cars ends up happening and gambling and all that other stuff because it's just like, yo, let's just play cars. Let's do anything because time needs to go by way faster. There was a tent that had like a projector and like a like a screen so you could go there and they would like they had like a like a VHS player and you'd like the MWR would like give you videotapes of like movies and stuff and you could just sit there and play a movie and it was like the same old movies from like early 90s and like it was like, yeah. oh my god they had board games and things and I'm like fuck this and and they had <laughs> they had like 3 desktop computers with the huge crt monitors you know and like and those were set up so that you could you could basically wait in line and sit down and email people back home if you wanted to and it was like you know it was crazy it wasn't as the internet wasn't as crazy as it is now you know it was just like but i was fortunate i felt like wow i get to like actually talk to my friends and stuff you know back home and tell them what's going on and whatever but yeah, the I mean, thing about that whole thing and about what, showing my kids Jarhead and and letting them have that little bit of a taste of like the the reality of of things that are out there in the world, um, a lot of that kind of built up to what I was presenting to you a couple weeks ago about this podcast and about the topic of violence in our world and how even when there's like. Um, during wartime or, or even, uh, like in state or, or I don't know how to put it, but there's, uh, the, the thing that kind of draw drew this out and made me like, I really want to do a podcast about this. So let me just tell a quick story. Um, besides the MRE bomb thing, cause that <laughs> <laughs> you brought that on, man. That was, <laughs> that was me. You're right. Okay, so I was reminded by someone recently in a Discord server um, discussion we were having one day um, that these modern times are like the least violent in history. And um, it got me thinking that with all the recent, not so recent, like gun violence in the U.S. and and all these other things going on, um, I was just reminded that the conversation... um, I was watching one of my favorite shows. It's called uh, Through the Wormhole, and it has uh, Morgan Freeman. One of the episodes I was watching not too long ago uh, just imprinted. It just like implanted this 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 thought in my head. Was like, okay, I need to do more research about this. I need to do a podcast episode. Um, 
the episode was about violence and it was about um, the inherent like evil that there is in the world. And mm-hmm. um, it really reminded me that about the conversation I had in discord um, was that, yeah, we, we kind of are living in maybe the least violent of times in history depending on how you look at it um the on that show they discussed that exact topic and one of the scientists made the note that the reason we are less violent as a species as humans is that our brains have evolved and we are in general uh, a lot smarter as humans than we were hundreds of years ago our brains are more intellectual um, due to the massive amounts of learning and stimulation um, that is much more readily available, literally at our fingertips, like smartphones and stuff. Uh, we can look up just about anything these days, any statistics, facts, history, quotes from past historical figures, um, and even the data that has been recorded via scientific papers or even old newspaper articles um, from almost 100 years ago um, that, we've, that have been archived and such. Mm-hmm. and made accessible on the internet. So what's the point of discussing this? Um, I, I have, by the, I have, I have so many notes about what was just said. I, so many notes. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, okay. So I, I want, I do want to, I want, I, so I, I want you to finish the point and then I, I just want to just, I just want to say, let, let's not leave that quote behind. I want to return to that. I have notes, but okay, please continue. Okay. Okay, so I was I was thinking, you know, what is the point of discussing this uh, to maybe point out that even though we are as a people are advancing and evolving, uh, we are still capable of violent and evil acts. Uh, it's still in us, but maybe we have more control over it. Maybe it's pressure from society uh, to not look bad. Uh, who knows? But I have an I had an aha moment, one of those aha moments uh, the other day. Um, and I'm going to share this at the end of this, the aha moment. Um, some of the facts to show how violent trends have gone down. Um, I looked up some of the stats and charts that show that the amount of deaths during conflicts or wars uh, have been greatly reduced. Um, if we look at a chart from the War and Peace website, we can see the total number of deaths uh, have been really reduced between 1946 and, and 2020. Um, there have been uh, some spikes on the graphs shown uh, there, but overall the trends shows that it's rapidly reduced. The they also show the difference between state-based conflicts and one-sided violence, um, and I'll have to check those charts later to point those out. But uh, the okay, so there's there's other aspects. That was the main thing that was drawing me was like. You know, there's there's all these facts and trends, and and you and I talked earlier before starting this episode, mm-hmm. and you brought up some good points too. Um, the aha moment. I don't know if I should save it for the end because I think it, it kind of makes sense. Uh, I I would like to talk about it. It'd be I think it'd be fun. Yeah, the aha moment. Okay, so I was thinking last night. Why did I want to talk about this other than point? Uh, other than to point out the downtrend of violence overall, um, because that is one point, but to deepen the discussion, uh, here's what I came with, came up with. Um, maybe now that our brains have grown, access to information is easier and we gain knowledge much more quickly than before, even though violence overall is lower and we are living in a relatively more peaceful or less violent times, 
maybe the effects of our subconscious and our innate abilities towards evil in general is more suppressed. Maybe this is what ties everything together with the modern day mental health epidemic and crisis. Also video games and movies, like we discussed earlier, you know, violent cells, you know, so maybe we're controlling it more. Maybe we're just being able to, you know, like if you have anger issues, they say to get them out. It's that, it's that built up energy within you. And if you expel it in a, in a more healthy way, like are people doing that? Um, like, okay. Are we going to going to the gym and just working out a lot, you know, like, and, okay. and getting the anger out instead so, of like going out and committing acts of violence. But that's just like, that's like domestic stuff, not wartime, but I'm talking overall so this, as humans. This is why I want to go back and talk about that quote, uh, because I wanted to spend some time really diving into to that concept that human okay. beings have evolved that uh the time period that from the time period that we were in um where there was more violence to now we have somehow moved forward and evolved um so my first question to you is have human beings really evolved and what i I want to really focus on here is uh has our like if anything our our lifespan has gotten longer I think we can we can take that right. So that that would that would be the thing that if you look at humans physically, that has changed the most significantly. That might have an impact on on this conversation. I, I don't think we've had a real change in capacity as far as our actual brain power. We haven't really had a, a change uh, where like we can say definitively that we are quote unquote smarter. I think we can definitely uh, pass more IQ tests now. But I mean. Again, that's not necessarily smarter. It's just we made all our IQ tests in this era. So if you go back to another era, then they're not going to pass an IQ test. So I, I feel like right. okay. So I feel, yeah. I feel like the the lo- the lifespan is where we because we live longer, we we have uh, a greater capacity, I think, to accomplish specific things. And one of the things I think that we have accomplished primarily here in the world that gets missed. Uh, is and I also want to say this: I don't think that humans are inherently violent. I, I want to. Say, I think we have the capability for it. I don't think we are inherently violent. I think violence is something that, uh, and, I, and I don't. I want to make sure I say this correctly. I think the use of violence in societal contexts is learned. I don't think violence is learned because, like, we're we're primal. I have arms and muscles. I can learn as a baby you see a baby knock over blocks that's that is violence that is a form of violence when you see a baby yeah, knock sure. over blocks like blah that's a form of violence so we have the capacity for that and the capability i think what yeah. we're talking about is the use of violence in a societal context so when i am trying to solve a problem societally that involves another human being i turn to violence i think that's the what we're really kind of dancing around here is, is the use of violence in a societal mm. context i think that's learned I don't think uh, because all societies learned. It's all things that we taught ourselves. We all made it up. Our parents taught us, uh, whether yep, consciously yep. or subconsciously, we saw how they dealt with the world. And then we were like, well, I guess that's how you deal with the world. So if, for example, something that's been proven by psychologists is uh, like a, a cycle of, of abuse, especially with physical abuse, where if children uh, are abused physically by their parents, when they grow up, they're more likely to physically abuse their children. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's cyclical because it's, it's learned. It's the use of violence in a societal context is learned. So if if that's the case, if it is learned and we're not inherently violent, then 
the evolutionary aspects of it don't really come to play here because we're not inherently violent. We just learn to be more violent. We haven't truly evolved more that we can measure. I mean, maybe we have our understanding of the world has definitely changed in and and what I guess in understanding how the world works. But like that's also a weird thing because uh if you had talked to someone in like the 15th century about science and their understanding of the world, they would 100 percent tell you, well, our understanding of the world is better than it ever has been. And we right, understand yeah. and we know how the how things work, and we understand now that we didn't quite understand things in the 15th century and in maybe the 24th century, if we're still here, knock on wood, we may not understand things this way either. We're still kind of expanding and learning and growing in our knowledge of the world. So I think then the question is when we look at- It's like the universe doesn't revolve around the earth, you know, like we We are just part of the universe- and we're revolving in a in a solar system around a star, and it's everything has changed. But yeah. you can't go back in time and tell those people that they're totally fucked up and wrong. They 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 <laughs> were, but but they they knew what they knew, and right. they knew more than they did ten, twenty, or a hundred years before them. Exactly, and so like which in, is and in all those cases. Like it's, it's so you kind of can't rely upon like intellect and knowledge because we don't really know what we don't know. And right. we don't really know how advanced our, we, we feel that our knowledge of the world is very advanced because of what we're able to do. But we don't, you know, by the flip side of that, what we're able to do seems light years and an advancement above someone from the 15th century and what they were capable of doing. If you jump back to the eighth century is again, super, and, and it's, that's just how time works and how our world has developed. So yeah. then the question I would ask is, if we look at violent acts, what motivates them? Typically, it's, again, we're talking about the use of violence in a societal context. So in a societal context, we use society to, to survive in the world, where it's easier for us to do that individually, excuse me, do that societally than it is individually. By yourself, you have to get your own house, get your own food, Get your own water, yeah. you know, protect yourself at all times. When you go to sleep, sleep with one eye open because, you know, predators are out. You have to do all that yourself. <laughs> with a society, you have someone there to help you so that you're not doing all of the procurement, all of the work yourself. You can do a role, play a job, you know, get a job, play a role in that society, and then function with a, a level of security that you would not have individually. And I think what has happened is that when you look uh, further back into the past, societally, there has been far more insecurity and instability at other points within our world than there has been now. And there's definitely been far less prosperity and far more reasons for people, again, to societally use violence as an answer to a problem. So if I'm uh, starving and you have food uh, and I don't have money to give you for food, but I have a knife. I'm, I'm going to eat. If uh, it, you know, it, it, and that's that's and, and when we think about violent crimes and we think about violence, uh, a lot of times, obviously, it's learned. But if you look at the way that our world has introduced certain forms of oppression into it, we can see where that violence was learned from. 
There are mm. certain specific forms of oppression that has been that have been introduced into our world. There have been certain specific things that, uh, because of our desire to continue to, you know, have the good things that society has given us, that we've built specific cruel systems to propagate society at our own or at a very few hands, uh, at, at a very few hands uh, benefit. And I think what ends up happening is that those systems which are oppressive, that are a form of violence in of themselves, um, and then just also the fact that their inequality exists and that lack of thereof, especially when it comes to survival, I think those factors come into play when it comes to how violent we are. And over time, especially now, there's more prosperity, there's more accessibility to food and things that you need to survive. Obviously, we're still not doing a great job of making sure everyone has, but we're at a point where right, we're arguing right. about you know people who don't have homes, uh, not like, yo, where are we going to get food from? How are we going to say, we're, we're past a lot of those more substantial questions about uh, prosperity and survival. And I think because we're past that, we're less violent. Will there always be violence? Yes, because uh, again, violence is learned and it's like Pandora's box. I don't think we're ever going to be able to put it back in. There's always going to be, uh, and especially while we have wars and governments and large societies. But I, I truly yeah. think that it's the overarching spread of prosperity that, and, and it's been proven in many cases that if you wanted to end crime, for example, typically prosperity, putting more money into an area drops crime levels. And I think it's just there's programs, you know, jobs, being able to give people. Most of us, in all honesty, I don't think most of us are inherently violent. It's learned. We're taught it. But even like if violence can be taught, I think peace can also be learned and taught. And I think uh, given the opportunity to pursue a peaceful life, the majority of people will take it, even if they have been, uh, even if they have learned violence. I think obviously there, there's a minority that will always kind of skew towards what they have learned because it is comfortable. And as we move towards forward in time, hopefully we get to a point where fewer and fewer, fewer and fewer people learn violence. But I mean, we always have the capability for it. And I think it's always going to kind of exist. But I think that's why we've seen it trending down. It's just that we've managed to spread prosperity to more and more of, of, of people uh, in this country, particularly because that's where a lot of these stats are coming from. Um, but in other countries as well, as prosperity has spread, so too uh, the drop of violence has has occurred. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree. Um, it's it's very interesting. Um, yeah, to to look at so many different points, especially what you were just saying, the I I think. I mean, first of all, I, I think you're right. I think that that it is definitely a uh, a learned thing, and and mm -hmm. as we progress in the future, where especially starting starting with the home, starting with parents and children, um, discussing things and being more open, and and you know, my kids, I wish I could say didn't have to witness violence, you know, and it's sad. And, and I look at it and I'm like, man, I'm, 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 I'm so glad that I'm at a point now that I'm, I feel like I'm progressing, um, that I'm, I'm learning. Um, but the, you, you hit the nail on the head 
with the thing that it's learned because I, I was abused as a child and that, that it, it's just sticks with you. Yeah. And when there's things that are difficult to deal with when you're an adult after being an abused child, like it's, it's very difficult to just stay calm and handle things as, you know, a reasonable person should, you know, like when the shit hits the fan, especially being, you know, like I'm a former Marine, you know, like you, you want to get on top of the situation. You want to survive. You want to like do whatever you can to survive and take out your enemy. And that's the thing. You get so jaded. You're like, who is your enemy? Like, you know, people at home can appear to not be on your side. And, And it's like, you know, and it's very sad that, you know, the amount of I'm glad that there's a lot of these breakthroughs going through with for 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 service members with PTSD and things like that, like with the uh, um, I've talked about in other episodes, like the psychedelic therapy, um, assisted therapy and stuff like that. Using MDMA is is now in uh, phase three trials. Um, it's almost completely legalized and they're doing training with therapists all over the nation to be able to provide these services to service members who, who have like flashbacks and nightmares and, and all this stuff, you know, like, and it's, and it's, it's trauma, you know, like in dealing with trauma. And, and I think once we've got a handle on trauma in general, like for society, Mm -hmm. we will see a huge shift and, and violent acts like, and, and it's just, you know, and it is, like you said, it's a learned thing. And as we progress and, and get further down in the years, like as people learn and as society and everybody start to group get together, it, it's, uh, I think the thing is, is like the, once there's less violence at home starting out, you know, there's going to be through attrition, you know, like how do we handle this matter? You know, something I don't like is happening, you know, how do we take care of this? You know, and And mental health is, is an overall topic that, I mean, that springs to mind when it comes to all this stuff, everything I've discussed in the past and, and this especially violence is a, you know, violence is a trigger and it's like, because of mental health. Talk about it. I think that, and like, it's it falls if if we talk about it, it falls on the parents, and I'm not trying to remove parents from from parenting, but you you never see discussions or even just like books of, that a parent can take to read with their child to talk to them about how do I deal with things when things are bad, like what do I do? How do I respond to things not going my way? How do I respond to evil in the world? How do I respond to uh, you know pressure, stress? We, we yeah. don't talk about that. And I think the only time uh, I can even remember it being brought up in like the context of like a school was when I was like freaking out and fighting and causing problems. And then they finally sent me to like a, a counselor and they were like, well, and then finally the, the school counselor like walked me through like the problem I was having. And we actually spent time like going through you know, therapy at like a very young age to try to figure out what was going on with me. But those resources aren't readily available and you have to be a problem before they show up. They really should have those resources kind of available for everyone. We all could 
benefit at a young age at going through uh, therapy sessions, talking about how to deal with emotions that we're starting to experience that we don't know how to deal with because the expectation is that our parents are going to be able to kind of walk us through that. And for some of us, our parents were. But for a lot of us, our parents themselves were not strong at doing it. And even if your parents are nope. fantastic, they have weak areas and weaknesses that I think uh, someone who is a trained licensed therapist who deals primarily with children could help address. But because we are so reticent to acknowledge mental health uh, disease, we're so reticent to acknowledge that mental health uh, in general and well-being is important. Because we're so reticent to acknowledge that, what ends up happening is we kind of push it on the rug until it becomes a screaming, flaming fire that we have to address. And for many of us, that doesn't happen until we're well into our adulthood when we have to spend a lot of time and effort going back and undoing some of the damage that was done to us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and you're right on you're you're right there at the point and it it solidifies this whole conversation. What you just said is is exactly why I wanted to have this discussion with someone like you because you you're great at verbalizing these things that I'm thinking. You know, I'm like how do I say this, you know? I'm like Jay will know. You know? <laughs> he, he's got it. He knows where I'm at. And and that was perfect, man. Like the the, I mean, access to information, sure. Like of, of you know, people today nowadays, like the whole less violent thing. Um, are we smarter? I don't know. Like, I mean, it's just a, a progression thing. You know, we we learn from our mistakes and mm-hmm. and we we move on. This podcast is why, I mean, I started it because of mental health, because of all the things that I've been through and PTSD and all the other crap, you know, it's like, I wanted to talk about this stuff to get it out there. And that's, you're exactly right. Like having, like, I was just thinking we went camping last week and I was like, and I didn't do this. And now I think back and I'm like, I should have done this because I had a blow up episode while we were camping while, mm-hmm. or while we were camping and I felt bad about it. So I apologized to the kids the next day and stuff. Um, but before I even went, I was like, I did some research on mindfulness for kids, mm-hmm. meditation for children, um, getting them into connecting things and, f- you know, their emotions and what they're feeling and associating all of that with being aware of their environment, being aware of their body, how they feel, what they're feeling, you know, and all that stuff. And I wanted to kind of go through a little practice with them while we were down there and I didn't do it. And I regret that now. Um, but I'm, I, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I, there's time to do that. And I'm going to do that soon because it's, I, like you just said, if, if, if the schools and other parts of society aren't doing that, it does fall back on the parents. If, and if the parents are not, you know, it's, it's one thing to subject kids to a nightmare living hell at home, you know, and being poor and, and being whatever, and like having relationship problems or having, you know, difficulty just discussing normal things every day, because, you know, there's a parent that gets triggered easily, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's so widespread, you know, there's, it's not just, me, it's not just you know a few people in my neighborhood. It's it's across the country, yeah, and it's, it's all of us. There's all these people that are dealing with issues, and it's like if we just kind of get a jump on it and say, 
why don't we just sit everybody down for a few minutes once a week and talk about our feelings, you know, talk about what could, what could make us feel better? You know, what would make things and life easier for all mm -hmm. of us, you know, and get everybody's opinion, but you have to really listen. And that's the problem is like, I know that I haven't listened to people in the past. Like I just, people talk to me and it's like, you know, you ask me five minutes later, what did they say? And I'm like, fuck, I don't know. You know, like, I mean, I was listening, I was hearing the words, but like in my mind, it was, had so much going on. It was all jumbled up and it's like, you know, how do I make heads or tails out of anything? And it was amazing to me to finally start to have discussions again with people after microdosing psychedelics and, and, and doing meditation and implementing better diet and things like that into my life. You know, like before that I was like being an alcoholic and drinking, you know, a, a case of beer every night. Like it, you just, you're pushing everything away. You're just like locking yourself in this little shell and you're like, I don't want to listen. I don't want to get better, you know, but yeah. you have to want to get better. You have to change your own mind in a way, no matter what people say to you, you're not going to change. You're not going to evolve or, or be a better person or, or whatever, unless you really want it. And it has to be your own personal decision. And I think that, in the grand scheme of things with the, with the topic of this podcast with violence and things, I think there's a lot of people out there that do need help, you know, mm -hmm. that, that, that need to be shown that they're worthy of love, that they're, that they're worthy of, uh, understanding and given a chance to see that they can change too. Yeah. They just have to realize they have to work themselves too. They have to yeah. do the work. Agreed. I think there's, there, to be fair, I think there are also a lot of people who themselves may not even realize that there is work to be done. Like there, there are so many things. I think, um, like I would tell everyone to 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 go to therapy if they absolutely positively can't afford to do it to to go because even if you think that you're like you're like oh I'm okay I feel fine I'm not sad I'm not blah. There are so many things I think that I discovered within myself about myself things that uh, initially though I didn't quote unquote feel sad or I felt fine. I, there were things, thought processes, uh, ways that I was approaching my life that uh, were harmful inherently that while at the time I may have felt fine, were kind of dragging me through cycles of like depression and sadness. And then I'd be fine. You know, I'd be like, oh, I'm happy. And then I'd be back down into depression. And because I never had anyone just sit down uh, with with training and license, you know, licensed therapists outside, well, I did at other points, but because I... I truly hadn't sat down with someone and just really dug into, you know, how I feel, how I feel, why I believe the way I believe, who I am at my core, what I, what I want to be at my core, who I really am, because I haven't really sat down and dug through that with someone else to help guide me through it because doing it by yourself oftentimes can kind of leave you uh, with a false impression of what you are. But because I, I didn't have someone there to kind of hold up a mirror and walk me through it, there were things that uh, I still kind of kept internally that I never would have found without the help. And so I think there are truly, I think even when we talk about violence, we often don't f reflect upon the cause, or I guess in this case, we talk about the use of violence, but we don't really reflect on, you know, the root causes that brought us there. I mean, it's, it's easy to try to attribute it to one thing, but the truth of the matter is that it's often multiple things and it requires us to kind of address multiple things. 
but I think it's great that you're you're taking time to like kind of introduce your children to the idea of meditation. And even if they aren't into it and just be like, hey, even if you're not into it, just know that there are other ways that you can find a release if you're stressed, if you just need to center yourself, if you just need to kind of like bring it in and you can feel like things are getting out of control. There are other ways to find, you know, a, a feeling of control or to get things back under uh, a point where, you, like, you know, they, they feel like they're under your, your hands. And I mean, I think there's it's good to kind of introduce that concept of them looking for, at, you know, even at a young age, finding ways to kind of calm themselves down, just kind of deal with the world. Because, you know, again, we don't get that training at a young age. You just kind of get yeah. tossed into the world and then, you know, figure it out, which is <laughs> not a good way to do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's it, it's like the generational thing, you know, like I see all these memes about Gen X, you know, Generation X is like latchkey kids, you know, <laughs> like you only saw your parents maybe like once a month, you know, like because they, they work every day and, and you are, yeah. you know, basically live in like, you know, a basement or like another room in the house where you'd never have to cross paths and, you know, just all this stuff. And, you know, I, I look at those things and I'm like, man, that is like. So I, I, so relatable, you know, because it was like, I barely talked to my parents unless I just wanted to, you know, like my parents like didn't have to, you know, I mean, I, every once in a while, like I remember being really little and like my mom telling me, get dressed, we're going to church, you know? And I'm yeah. like, oh my God, like what happened? What did I do? You know, like, yeah, I don't want to go to church. Punished? I'm like, dad doesn't have to go to church. He's still in bed. Why? Why do I gotta go? Because mom wants you to go. Like you know, good old. And I'm like, why are you doing this to me? (laughs) Like holy shit! And it was out of nowhere because I hadn't been to church in like probably you know two or three months. You know, but it was just all of a sudden, you know. But there was just those weird things, and it was like interactions with parents. And I try to think about those things all the time my interactions, my personal feelings and emotions when I was dealing with my parents growing up and what my kids now are dealing with. What what, what do they hear when I talk to them about some facts or stories or, you know, even just whatever random shit, you know, I'm just like, I'm like, how do they hear it and perceive it? I just always question. I'm like, you know, what are they thinking when I'm just sitting here like rambling on about something I did in the military 20 years ago or, you know, whatever. And it's, I, I, and then I think, what was my dad thinking that I was thinking when he was telling me stories of what he did when he was in the Navy, you know, 30 years before I was born, you know, like weird shit like that. Like, I don't think we think about that kind of stuff. Like, it's just yeah. you're just in the moment and you're like sitting there with your kid and it's just it becomes so normalized that okay I'm just here and I got this little human next to me and <laughs> I'm going to tell him some story about an experience I had you know but I want something deeper than that you know and I try to reach my kids and we just had like a we had movie night last night and we watched the new predator movie prey Mm-hmm. Um, which was really good. Um, oh, nice. But uh, my son was acting up towards the end of it, like or 
towards the beginning. And then at the end, he was just like had a weird attitude and was laughing. And we were having a serious discussion right after the movie about indigenous people and the the horrific massacres that took place and things like that. And he was sitting there cracking up laughing because of a joke he thought of from a meme he saw like weeks ago just because it related to like dead children or something like that. And we were like, what the fuck is wrong with you, dude? Like, don't do that. Be aware yeah. of the situation. We're not, we're not. And it, it kind of set me off in a way. Cause I was like, what are you doing? You know, like, why are you being like that? And he was like, why are you so offended? Why are you offended by everything? And I was like, holy shit. You know, like this is, not what I was expecting the conversations to be like when we were just like going to have movie night, you know, yeah. movie night, hang out, watch a movie. I, I think it's something that happens a lot of times when you're younger, though, where, uh, you know, it's I remember being young and wanting to be like, uh, you know, cool and edgy. And it's like mm-hmm. a rush to try to prove how almost like almost like you feel like you're more adult if you're not offended by things. Do you remember how, like how you used to curse when you were a kid? Like, uh like middle school cursing where it's just like, fuck you, motherfucker. You don't, and it's just every other word is just curse word, curse word, curse word, curse word. And as you get older, you kind of come to the understanding that like people don't talk like that. <laughs> it's not, right. like, it's not even, it's really not even about like our, us being offended. It's just like actual people every day aren't like, fuck you, motherfucker, you motherfucking bitch. Like, this is not who we are. Uh, we, we use other words because we have bigger vocabularies and we say other things and occasionally <laughs> we'll pepper in some cursing. And I think the 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 difference between that is just like your your knowledge and experience of the world. And I think that happens a lot of times when you're young and you're t- trying to deal with something that one probably makes you uncomfortable uh, because uh, now you're seeing like your parents talk about something with some reverential respect. And it's like, well, everyone's getting all serious I just want to have fun. And so it, it puts you in a place yeah. where you're just like, I don't know what to do. And you don't have a lot of experience in how to just, you know, in all honesty, I, I hate to say this, but I, I will say uh, when I was younger, I learned something and then I got older and I, I, I became a better person. But when I was younger, I found out if, I, if I'm just quiet for X amount of minutes, this will all go away. And then I don't have to think about it anymore. And I used to do that. <laughs> and I mean, it's, it's, and it's a messed up thing. I got older and I realized that I should think about it and I, and I got better about, but I remember being young. I remember somewhere around like 15, I was like, you know what? Just be quiet, nod. And then they'll be like, all right. And then we'll go back to doing the thing that was fun. Uh, and then occasionally there'll be a pop quiz like later. And you can be like, I don't remember. And then you just nod again as they tell you again. And I mean, <laughs> like, it, it's just... I think though the 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 key though is is that when you're younger you just don't have the context and the experience, and over time you get it and you you meet other people you get more perspective and it's great that you're trying to share that perspective with them. I think you can't you can't hold them too far accountable. Uh, I mean, there's some accountability obviously, but you can't be like, oh no, right. I'm raising a monster. It's like no, you just have a teenager. It's <laughs> exactly yeah. <laughs> I do see that, you know, and, and my wife reminds me of that too. And it's, it's, you're absolutely right. It is is a thing. And and I remember I I was at that age and I was doing the same stuff and I was, uh, man, when I first, uh, discovered sarcasm, oh my God, like it was terrible. uh, Like I was such an asshole, Yeah, man. Like I look back and I'm like, to the people who love me most. 
It's the people who <laughs> love me most. People who are like, we want nothing but for you to be happy and fed and taken care of. And I'm just being a dick all over. Just <laughs> from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, just me being a dick. And every opportunity I had, I'm just like, let me jump in here and be mean to you. And I don't know how my yeah. parents took it. I'm surprised they did, they weren't just like, look. If the next sarcastic thing you say, we're just going to kick you out. We can't do this anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, this is a good place for a break. Let's take a quick break and uh, we'll come back and we'll wrap this up. And uh, yeah, I got a few closing things and uh, we can. Yeah, we'll just wrap that up and we'll be good. All right, cool. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Wormhole Manifest. We took a little break there after our first segment of this episode. Um, wow. We were getting pretty deep there for a while. It was, it was, it was, uh, yeah. it was, it was, that was good stuff, man. Like we were, we were going and, and I think uh, towards the end of that first segment, I was getting a little, uh, a little deep in the, in the, in the, stuff i don't know how to even say it it was just like heady yeah yeah i was just opening up about things and and that's what i think is good you know i think we need to do that with each other and we need to be open and honest and um and discuss things but that's that's what i want this show to be about wormhole manifest you know like get people on the manifest to travel with me through the wormhole and we like come out into some thick shit man and like hopefully we can discuss it and work it out and you know come to like some cool entertainment you know entertaining you know factual and educational and and fun stuff you know yeah Uh, and learning can be really fun and other times it can be difficult and and to truly evolve in our own selves and in our own places and our society and everyday communities and things you know we it sometimes it takes some tough situations you know the 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 thing about uh psychedelics you know like i like to talk about is Mm -hmm. that there's no such thing as a bad trip you know there's there's just difficult ones and the difficult ones is where they stick with you the longest and you learn the most you know like you process that for years to come and you always think back and you're like man, the things that I was taught that night really come out and I reflect on it all the time. And, and it's, it's amazing, man. Like the, yeah, I'm glad these, these things are, are, are coming out to be more mainstream and, um, you know, hopefully it just doesn't make a bunch of rich white people more richer, <laughs> you know, like, well, it's going to do that. <laughs> it's going to do that. But hopefully that's the only thing it does. <laughs> You know, there's something that you said that uh, it kind of resonated for me there. Um, so when I was in college the second time, I had a professor who insisted, it was like one of my first communications classes. Uh, she insisted that we read this book. It was uh, called Crucial Conversations. 
excuse me, and it was about uh, how you communicate uh, in moments when conversations are quote unquote crucial. So when things are tough and it really was focusing on avoiding like kind of uh, really similar, well, avoiding tactics that people take when they're uncomfortable. And they don't want to talk about things. So things like uh, sometimes when we don't want to talk about, we dismiss it, we deflect. And it was just kind of highlighting all the different ways. Uh, Sometimes we're aggressive because we try to force other people into submission. And so it it just highlighted all the different ways that uh, when we get into conversations that we're uncomfortable with, uh, things that other people do and things that we can spot in ourselves and identifying Mm -hmm. those things and then being able to push past them to be able to have those conversations because the most important thing I think about communication is that the conversations that are difficult for us, that are tough, are typically the conversations that we need to have. Those are the ones that we mm. need to spend more time talking about. Um, when we're uncomfortable, typically when we look at our society and we the things we don't want to talk about uh, surrounding race, surrounding uh, identity, surrounding you know just uh, economics and how we view the world, those conversations make us very uncomfortable. Even just talking about money makes us really uncomfortable. And yeah. we need to be able to have those conversations because all of those things have direct impact, not only on our lives, but also on the lives of others. And like we talked about, uh, society exists because as an individual, we can't make it alone. And if our society is crushing specific people and lifting up other people, that's unsustainable because after a certain point, there's nothing left to give. You can only crush so many grapes before, like, you know, are crushed grapes so many times before you don't have any more juice left. And so if you're, you're juicing all the lower class, eventually juices out. And then where do you go? There's nowhere yeah. left for you to juice. You, maybe you make more lower class, but eventually you're just grinding yourself away. So it, it doesn't make sense for us as a society to rip apart the lower parts of society. The more equality we have, the better we tend to be. We have less crime. We are happier. We have more advancements. Even when we talk about equality from the standpoint of just uh, you know other you know companies that have a monopoly being broken apart, and then us being allowed to actually explore and innovate within certain industries, all of that happens primarily because instead of hoarding things and keeping it individually and singular, we actually value society and we allow society to lean into its best benefits, which is innovation. And uh, the fact that I think we talked about this off air, the fact that most of us, uh, like even if I'm drinking a LaCroix right now, I could not produce a LaCroix on my own. There's no way I, if, if you drop me into, uh, you could give me all the supplies for it. You could give me, you could probably give me instructions. Like you could give me a Lego kit for <laughs> LaCroix, just a Lego kit for LaCroix, all the supplies and instructions, everything's here. I got all I got to do is just follow the instructions and assemble, and I guarantee you, this Lacroix will be terrible. It will I will hurt myself or kill somebody in the process because it is very difficult to make. But our society has made it so that it's actually very easy for me to 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 get. I it's like a dollar, yeah. it's like a dollar a drink, and a dollar in my world is not that much work. So society has given us the opportunity to actually have things that are extremely complex and very difficult to procure. Uh, like that, in a, in almost in an instant, with very little effort on our part, um, individually. Right. And I think the, the key here is that we kind of have to remember that uh, that it's the collective working together that allows that, not our own individual greatness that has brought us there. Hmm. Yeah. This LaCroix uh, is really good. 
<laughs> uh, Rachel started drinking that recently. Like I've started getting it at that Aldi place that I was telling you about where they like scrutinize with I'm like shopping, you know, like putting yeah. it into another cart. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, okay, we'll get, we get her some of that, you know, and um, you, you she likes it. it. She likes, it's, it's she likes awesome the lemon good. lime one, I think. Lemon but, lime is uh, solid. Uh, I like uh, so my favorite flavors. Uh, limoncello is really good. It's a uh, like the limoncello liqueur. So it's 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 the flavor of limoncello, but like Lacroix, there's no alcohol in it. It's so good. Uh, I also <laughs> love. There's a guava. It's a Sao Paulo guava. So it's like a Brazilian guava that they have. That's like man, you got all like the fancy flavors up there. I think we just I, got like lemon lime and <laughs> I think strawberry or something. I don't know. I don't, my favorite flavor then is going to make you upset. Uh, it's cherry blossoms. It's literally not cherry. It's oh cherry blossoms. And you can taste the blossom. It's like, oh, man, this tastes like a cherry blossom smells. It's really wow. good. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 so good. I, I drink a lot of LaCroix. I drink a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. Uh, um, shit. Where was I? I... Uh, there was something I was just thinking about and I didn't want to lose it. And I was like, okay, remember that. Okay. The, um, okay. In, in the last segment, we were talking about some stuff. I kind of want to, I don't want to dig back too deep into that, but like something that is on a side note of the violent thing. Um, <clears throat> big pharma has, uh, several thousands, maybe millions of people, kind of reliant on them for their daily Prozac or Xanax or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, if they fall, if for some reason all these millions of people can't get their Prozac or Xanax, what is that going to do? Like, is that going to spike the violent things and the tendencies in hum humanity all of a sudden, you know, like if it's if it's something that's just, you know, all of a sudden, you know, even like a natural disaster or something. And it's like production lines like, and like shipments, supply chain disruption, supply chain. Yeah. All that. Yeah. Like, you know, are, are people going to like start to, you know, people that have suffered trauma or people who have have mental health issues that are dealing with them? Like I was in the past where I was reliant on my medications as this kind of crutch to get me through the day. And I wasn't aware and I wasn't facing my issues and I wasn't doing the work that I think I need to do to get better, even though I still, and I was reminded of this by my therapist or my doctor uh, a week or so ago that I do have diagnosis. So it's like mm -hmm. my diagnosis says that, you know, I, I can, be on medications. Um, I choose not to be, I I'm on like one medication now, but it's very low dose, but I've gotten off of like six or seven other medications because of the, you know, it wasn't helping me at the time. So I'm wondering what that will affect our, not just our nation, but the world or, or, you know, pretty much just our nation because yeah. we're so reliant on big pharma and I know a lot of other countries are too, but they have other means to, you know, they have like 
other countries have universal health care and things like that. And, you know, it's all kind of worked into the system. But if 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 the shit hit the fan and there was no that, more. That feels like a two part question. Uh, and it, so, yeah, the, it's, the, the, the first part I'm going to I'm going to say, but then I feel like we have to come back to it because it, it's it's like a real overarching thing that I don't want to go down a rabbit hole with. But the, the first thing is uh, what happened? That took down only pharma, <laughs> like only pharma. So, like, because uh, think about the government that we're in. Uh, in 2008, the uh, auto industry by itself went, uh, in America was like, "We're going down," and the government was like, "No, you're not." And they grabbed them and they gave them a whole bunch of money and they pulled them back out. Uh, and I would imagine that the thought process you're having is one that the government has had as well at some point. And I'm pretty sure if pharma started going down economically, the government would come in and be like, "Hey." Here you go. We'll bail you out. So, because I'm not the, the government doesn't have an infinite supply of money, but I mean it might as well. Um, it, <laughs> Printers, just, you know, they just print it, and keep printing. <laughs> not even, not even from that context. It's just the government, uh, the United States government, uh, uh, can just borrow because people will give it money, knowing that it. it it's uh, the best example I've heard. I think John Oliver may have said it was that, or maybe it was Adam Conover. But essentially, America is like the Lannisters in uh, Game of Thrones. <laughs> We always pay our debts. And because uh, we're so good yeah. at it, people are willing to give us more money all the time because we have never defaulted on a loan. We always pay our debts. And so because mm. of that, it makes me wonder, uh, you know, like for funding for those types of things, it's not a problem. I guess the the biggest question I have is this when it talks about like, you know, pharma going down, we can always fund it. My bigger overarching question, I guess the answer to that is this. Uh, every day, um, because of the nature of our healthcare system, we get individual cases that give us a glimpse into the answer to your question. So while there are uh, definitely, while there is definitely an abundance of medications available in America, the accessibility to those medications varies upon, differs, uh, excuse me, varies based upon, you know, where you are in your station, quote unquote, station in life. So you may or may not be able to afford medication. And then there's also many people who are relying upon government programs that uh, funding often is uh, subject to the whims of the government. So if, you know, one government is in that is Democrat and they are more willing to open the purse strings and fund your program, then your program will be well-funded and, and you'll have a great experience. But then very suddenly, uh, Republicans can come into office and they typically aren't as fiscally liberal. And so then they're cutting programs. And and we saw sort of the effects of that. Uh, Seattle Counseling Services, which was one of the oldest uh, LGBTQ-focused counseling services in Seattle, ended up having to close its doors for a variety of reasons, uh, none of them having to do with governmental change. But in that happening, there were thousands of people who were suddenly left struggling to figure out how they were going to get mental health services, where they could find counseling, where they could find, uh, you know, their medication. And some of them were fortunate enough to be able to, you know, be able to afford medication. Some of them were fortunate enough in some cases to be able to move towards like uh, privatized insurance or even pick up something like, you know, jump into other insurance or maybe not insurance, but find other services that were available to them that would be covered by the state. But in all of those cases, that agency going down did give us uh, individual case-by-case basis where people were left without their medication, where they were left without the services that they need to protect their mental health. Uh, 
So I, I would agree with you. I think it is something that's terrible. I, I, I hopefully because I, if if it does happen, I'm I'm assuming that the, the U.S. government's down too, uh, and then and that's just that's a much bigger issue. It's like I mean it, it's bad, but I mean like now everyone's down bad, and like I, I yeah I don't. I don't foresee a world where uh, industries as large and as important as big pharma will be allowed to fail. And that in and of itself is kind of a problem. Um, There's never a point where anyone's like, we can't strike from our medications, right? So we can't be like, you know what? You charge too much. We're not going to pay it because we'll die. So we have to pay the thing that you ask us to pay in most cases, or we'll die in most cases. In other cases, it'll just be very unpleasant. But we have to pay the thing that you tell us to pay. And the only person or entity that can stand between us and the pharmacy is the government. As we just talked about, the government is very much invested in keeping big pharma going and will save them if they crash. Uh, And because of the way money works uh, and the the fact that our government very much operates and is funded by money, when... Big Pharma wants things, Big Pharma kind of gets it because Big Pharma has the money to give to the government to lean it, its ear towards it. So it's not, I, I just don't know the world that exists, like the world that exists where Big Pharma goes down is a much bleaker one. It's not because Big Pharma's de- gone. It's it's, it's an apocalyptic <laughs> world where people are eating each other. And right. in, in the other case yeah. of it, I feel like the the biggest thing is, is you know, we, we can see that happening kind of on a case by case basis where there are people who are without their medications or without, you know, the mental care service, mental health care services that they need. And I think the the bigger problem that we have is that, like you mentioned, there isn't a lack of uh, supply for those things. It's, and there's not a lack of demand. The biggest problem is that right now, currently, money is the biggest current denominator into whether or not you get health care, especially mental health care. Yeah, you, you've kind of made that. You've made my point. Like the, the the thing was that, you know, obviously, if big pharma goes down, there's a shitload of other things that are ha- you know hitting the fan, and you know, post apocalyptic world kind of thing. You know, uh, the the thing was that it's like if that happens, if we come to a point where there isn't a big pharma. Obviously everything else has failed, you know, like all the uh, checks and balances of our, you know, capitalistic society have, you know, collapsed. And, you know, we've, uh, I don't know if you've seen or read the time machine, you know, by HG Wells, it's, uh, uh, you know, in the future, there's the, um, the, the Morlocks, which are like this underground society of people or things or mutants or whatever they call them. But like the, uh, the thing is, is that they humans exist outside of that realm and they fear the Morlocks. They're the mutants that are underground. And it's uh, kind of what I'm thinking. It's like, there's, you know, maybe we're so dependent now on things like big pharma you know, that remember we, we were talking about earlier in the first segment, it was like, you know, everything is so accessible, you know, like knowledge is accessible. Drugs are accessible. The, the things that are accessible to get us 
to lead a, a less violent lifestyle or our or world or society is is less violent because everything seems to me kind of more controlled it's more um well you know i don't the, know like the more contr- I not really controlled this, but the, the, the there's something that you said that I, and the more i think about this there's one other overarching point i think we should make uh because i think it's it goes back a little bit to what we were talking about previously in the other segment where we talked about the idea of whether or not mankind has moved forward whether or not we've progressed and like while our understanding of things has moved forward and our, our definite understanding in, in of what uh, a person needs as far as mental health has progressed uh, as well as medications. I think one thing that we are missing is that for centuries, mankind has managed to medicate itself um, arguably effective, ineffectively in some cases, but has managed to be able to find ways to medicate itself without the inclusion of a commercial system. Uh, And when you look at indigenous peoples that are still in existence today, they are still capable of treating many mental health uh, issues and providing mental health services to their own members uh, or to, you know, in the case of indigenous nations, their own members uh, without the inclusion of big pharma. So I think it's something that I think it's, will it have an uh, uh, impact on our society? 100% if it does happen, especially if it happens, I guess somehow without the government going down, which uh, (laughs) that scenario is, it's, (laughs) That scenario is terrifying, but uh, <laughs> I, I think it's, I think the, the, the other thing to remember is that, you know, while big pharma again, does seem to be kind of the end all to like healthcare issues and services, there were, and still exists healthcare remedies, especially in the, the realm of mental health that existed, that mankind has used for centuries and will probably continue to use either in correlation to or even uh, separately from uh, big pharma and, and westernized medicine. So I, I don't know. I, I think even if things did get bad, there, there are so many indigenous people who understand the planet that the only thing that would concern me would be whether or not there's enough resources for us to then completely go to something that would be more holistic uh, or more herbal. Um, yeah. Because, I mean there's a lot of people, but right. yeah, it, I, I think that the option would be there though. Right. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And you're right. That's the, uh, that that's one of the things. And one of the points that I've been discovering recently or in the past couple of years is that, you know, there are treatments to mental health issues that have existed for thousands of years that have been in small communities or tribes or, you know, places in like South America. And they, they're they're in places where people are in more close knit communities, like these these places that where every person is a valued member of that community. And if someone starts acting weird or 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 depressive or anxiety or you know whatever it is may be, even if it's like a substance abuse uh, issue where some. Uh, members of the community have become alcoholics or, or whatever. Um, they've found ways of treating that person through ceremonies and like these ancient ceremonies and things like that have been around forever that in these communities that have kind of faded away throughout the existence of our modern, like everyday 
fast paced, go to go, you know, like nonstop, uh, you know, office cubicle kind of existence where we like sit and mindlessly drone away looking at a computer screen in an office building. You know, there's thousands of people across the nation that are doing this, that there's places like in uh, Silicon Valley in in California where they're producing like microchips and software and developing code for computers and all that, that they've found benefits from microdosing psychedelics to uh, their creativity and, and mindfulness and things like that. Uh, so it's like, they're almost kind of like they're tapping into these ancient traditions of, you know, we are a community where even though, everything's so spread out and we're all online, you know, 24 seven. It's like, we can still have that element of what people did thousands of years ago, where we're in a close knit society and we're on a community or in a tribe together and we all work together. And that's what it, it kind of pinged me earlier when you said like earlier that we, we can't do anything alone. You know, like if you send us back in time, even if we have all the instructions and uh, all of the materials that we need to construct something scientific, uh, you know, 500 years ago or something, it's like we individual person can't really do it. You know, like we need that. We need others around us that yeah. we can work together with and unite and, and put these things together and make a good use for it. And, I mean, and that's it, how we have it, grown. That's yeah. how we've advanced to where we are now because we've worked together with people, not just people within our own country, but people throughout the world. You know, I mean, Albert Einstein wasn't an American, you know, like uh, Albert Hoffman, who invented LSD, was not an American. You know, like yeah. <laughs> there are these scientists, there's these smart people all over the world that are sharing that knowledge. And that is where we benefit is by the shared knowledge of uh, individuals that discover things and teach us how to use them. And if we go to ancient civilizations or cultures or tribes in South America, they will show you ways of meditation and uh, practices using plant medicine and things like that, that can help you relieve pain or, you know, whatever else. And it's, uh, it's just, yeah. uh, which, there's, which so, is, there's so much out there. Which is so why much. I think if, if, if big pharma were to go down, I think there, we would maybe turn back to something a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say natural because that's that's kind of a weird connotation, but we turn back to things that existed before it. And, and like I said, I think we would still have some of the same understanding uh, of the human mind that we have now and of mental health. But, you know, maybe we figure out new ways to incorporate the more holistic uh, uh, aspects of, of mental health care from uh, previous times uh, in, in more modern and innovative ways. I think the thing that yeah. is that should always be, be noted is that anytime there is a uh, a monopoly or a stopgap where everything all roads run through one thing, 
removing that thing uh, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we are all screwed. Uh, the example I'll give, I think it was something that was actually on a John Oliver episode recently, uh, was you know, AT&T. For a long time, AT&T was the only telephone company in the world. And every time people talked about breaking up AT&T, it's like, well, where are you going to get your telephone from? You're going to trust some guy from down the street who just set up his own telephone company? We're the only, tele- <laughs> you know, we're the only tele- telephone company you've ever used. And what ended up happening is they did break up and then we started getting better rates and better quality and service and innovations because AT&T had to compete to keep up. And while I am not 100% uh, on board with the idea of competition in the aspect of, of economics, I will admit that anytime you have things converging into one point where now this point controls all access to a specific thing, um, then you don't have as much innovation because there's no need for them to innovate. There's no want for it. Uh, there really isn't a reason for them to go out of their way to improve mental health care services um, because why? I, I can get you to pay me a lot for very little right now, but it, with that being removed, when we now have to try to look for ways to innovatively uh, solve problems, just as we have now because of the problems with our healthcare system, I think what you'll see is that, uh, quite frankly, um, we've been able to not only um, meet the needs that Big Pharma often leaves behind, but in some cases, I think we can actually exceed some of those needs and find methods and processes that are better than just simply medicating ourselves. <laughs> Dead air. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm captivated. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> That's why I love having you on here, man. Cause you just, you like fill my head with stuff and I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I see. I see it. I see it, man. <laughs> no, this is this is good. I'm actually this is a great conversation. I and I like that as a question. I think it's a it's a really cool question in general. I think mainly because um, we, we we are conditioned to think of our world as being very stable, and I think as a whole we should do more thoughts about what will we do when the things that we rely upon and think of as being uh, permanent. Um, show themselves not to be. What if yes. uh, suddenly we, there is no more permanence to you know institutions that we've come to just trust? And I think having that conversation, having those exercises, uh, does two things. First of all, it helps us understand that you know the monolith that is America is uh, vulnerable in many cases and and can be damaged, can be hurt, can be destroyed. But it also helps us to remember that, you know, it's also not the end all. A lot of times we think of ourselves as being the pinnacle of uh, what is happening in the world around us. And the truth of the matter is, is that while, you know, there are some things that we're really good at, there are also some things that other people are really good at. And there are solutions to problems that we have found uh, that work for us, that other people have found other solutions for that are different, that also work. And I think uh, my mom's favorite thing to say uh, when I was younger was that there's more than one way to skin a cat, which is a really messed up thing to do and also say. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, I don't know if that's true. I've never skinned a cat, but I assume since <laughs> it's a saying that there is more than one way to skin a cat. She could have picked any other animal, by the way. She could have said a <laughs> raccoon. She could have said a deer. Animals that you skin uh, that are should be skinned and are normal for skinning, very long list. Uh, but she went with cat. She decided to pick an animal that you should not skin or kill. That's what she went with. Uh, but yeah, 
it's uh there's more than one like way a, like a possum or something you know like i don't know animals. you don't even have to try to think of one snake see didn't even try pull one from my head <laughs> it's so easy to think of there are so many animals that you should skin a cat is not one of them and that's the one she always went with seems like it's more than one way to skin a cat and it's yeah. always like, but you know you shouldn't be skinning cats mom it's not a thing that people uh smile about it's actually frowned upon in society um was 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 your mom someone who would also say something like a room oh, damn it i can't think of the the saying it it was like a southern saying it was like a it was a, like a, it was a, a room full of cats it, it, oh a room full, in a, a rocking cat, chair a cat in a room full of rocking chairs is what you're looking for a cat yeah never seen a cat in a room full of rocking chairs uh there's a beating a dead horse, which I feel like is just <laughs> across the board. Everyone uses that one. Um, there, there's uh, the same nervous one, but it's uh, nervous as uh, uh, like a, a sex worker in church. Um, though they use other words in the South uh, that I will not do use here. Um, but it, there's a there's a lot of colorful Southern phrases. It's uh, we're we're big on turns of phrase. It's and it's so much so that I think. Um, like I talk in weird little catchphrases. I realize not like real ones, but just like it's like you. It's a sing-songy way of talking that Southerners have. That if you listen to the way they construct sentences, it doesn't make sense. It's it's like you could have just. It's it's the longest way possible to get to where you're trying to go. And I realize I do it, and I I I for years have been working on not doing it. But I realize that there are just times when I'm like, just adding words in. I don't need them. I'm just throwing them in just for fun because why not? Let's just throw some <laughs> extra words in. And it doesn't make sense. And I, I don't know why I do it other than just it, maybe it's a, it might be a my family thing. I don't want to put it all in the South. But it feels like it's a Southern thing because everyone, everyone in my family <laughs> does it. And a lot of people I talk to in the South does it. Uh, but my family, my mom and my, my sister will just – make a sentence that's supposed to be point A to point B and they will drag that bad boy all the way to Z. It is, it does not make sense. It's I, it's so many words, so many words. We love them. I guess we love to say words. <laughs> We're trying to use every word we know in every sentence. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, there's a lot of little Southern catchphrases that are fun and some of them are not so fun. Some of them are pretty terrible, but there's some that are pretty fun. Isn't it like amazing how through the course of history, like just like when I sit there and think sometimes like, a, you know, people I know where they're from, where they are now and how we've all come together, you know, like, and, and just the different backgrounds, the different, you know, uh, just everything, you know, it's just, it's all very interesting and it's, it's, I don't know, like, it's just, it's really cool to think that I know a bunch of people from different parts of the country. And then when I think of those different parts of the country and the history of that part of the country, it's like, it's amazing that we are able to be here right now this point in time in space in you know the history of our country and and be able to talk and come together and connect in so many different ways it's it's i don't know like it 
several years ago in my my mental health like depths of my depression and and psychological disorders and things like that like it, it's it's was madness it was just complete chaos and i didn't understand anything and now that i'm here i'm like and aware i'm like you know it, the topic of this podcast was violence but what i get out of it is that there's throughout our history you know there has been countless acts of violence my notes here have tons of things about you know world war ii and all kinds of things but like we didn't get into that but like the things the atrocities that ourselves are as humanity have um been a part of you know or even caused it's it's amazing that like you and i jay we sit here today and can talk and have a discussion about these things and look back and say we've come a long way like the shit is fucked up you know like we've had some violent history and in all aspects of our lives and and we see different things we we have different perspectives and and i think the thing that i love the most is that we can come together and share our perspectives on on topics like these things and uh and and just be and just communicate just be like together and and know that we are here together and we like we we are part of we are responsible right now in this moment for the future you know and, and that's why like everything i do now is like what can i do to hopefully make the future better for other people you know like going to I, I mentioned in the last episode I did, I did a solo episode about um, my wife and I went to a protest and it was my first protest ever. It was about the, the Roe versus Wade thing. And it was about women's rights, you know, like in, mm-hmm. and, and health and, and all that stuff. And, and I went to that and I was like, why did it take me so long to be a part of a protest? You know, like I felt like an activist my whole life, but I've, I've also denied parts of myself that were very liberal and very emotional and, and connected with people. And I was, uh, kind of stupidly, um, conservative in early parts of my life that I didn't even really know the reason why it was just because of the people around me that were like that and I wanted to fit in, you know? So it's like, now I'm like more aware and I'm like, why would I do that? Like, why would I pretend to be something I'm not, you know, like I I'm here and I care about people and I care about women, women give birth to men and every other person. And it's, you know, such a, I don't know. Like the, the whole thing was just like eye opening, And I think it's, I, I've, I don't know. A, there is a, 
a uh, social psychology theory that is called standpoint theory um, that I think is really interesting. Um, I feel like it, it, it's, I want to say it's by Dr. Julia Woods, but I might be wrong. So don't quote me on that. Uh, but standpoint theory does this really cool thing where it uh, helps us kind of look at um, how we perceive the world, um, incorporating um, both our own identities and power dynamics. So when you <clears throat> are looking at the world uh, from, and, and by power dynamics, I, I'm, I'm really saying uh, almost like privilege, right? So like uh, when you are a man, for example, there are many things about being a man that we all 100% understand about men, because we're men, we are that. And if you come into that space or that realm or that domain, we get it. Uh, the thing that's interesting here is that uh, women also have a very good understanding of men because they have to, because uh, men are a threat to them. They pose dangers to them. Uh, men control their governments. Men, in many cases, control their houses. Uh, because of that power dynamic, there is a better understanding uh, of women, uh, of men, than there are of men of women, because men don't have to understand women. We kind of unfortunately control everything without understanding them and have without the uh everything that man has come to control has come without us ever been like well let's try to understand women before we do anything else before we, we we start a government let's just let's figure women out we didn't do any of that and we never have had to and because of that uh what standpoint theory really kind of argues is that uh that difference in understanding Without uh, some effort from on our part, without a lot of uh, in some side, some in some cases, some guidance from someone who has uh, you know in a lower position, without that, you are inherently likely to just miss it. And it's not that it is not important, and it's not that you don't care. It's just that from your perspective, it's not something that you have to gain to move forward in the world. You don't have to gain empathy for a woman's plight to move forward in the world, to move forward as a human being, to move forward as a person. 100% need to have empathy for other people to, to, to do those things. But yeah, yeah, in our society, you don't really have to do that to be able to survive as a man. I don't have to understand anything about uh, how a, what a woman's struggle is or about women's rights. I can go through my entire life without ever talking about it or when I, not even not caring, but without ever talking about it or having a conversation about it or even like considering it when I vote and my life will most likely be very much unimpacted. But again, for, for those who are in lower positions, they kind of have to understand the full game. And also they, they have to understand you and also understand their own lives because so much is riding on, on their survival. And I think, Fortunately, what's happening, and, I, and I, I'm glad that it is happening, but what we're starting to see is that there's just more awareness, particularly from people who are in positions of privilege, like us, who are men, who are starting to realize that there is a world of experience that we have not seen because of our privilege, and that once we see it, uh, we can't unsee it, and that we have to take steps to make sure that uh, the world that we live in, while I, I don't know if we'll ever achieve full equality just because uh, we're human, I think we can achieve something that is damn near closer than what we have currently. Yeah, I, I, I hope so, man. I, I really hope so. You and it's, me both. Uh, it's, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to go from here. <laughs> I value 
your perspective so much, man. And I just hope you know that. And I hope that when we talk and stuff, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, I, I don't know, like I, I've said before in other episodes, you know, where it's like, there's so many things that have come up and it's just like, wow, you know, like I'm woke, you know, and it's, it, and I'm like, I don't like that term. And other people are like, oh, why do you use that? Or why does some people use that? And it's like, it's not, it's just, and you corrected me or not, you know, you added that it's it just being a responsible adult and understanding. And I value that. I value your opinion and, um, and, and your perspective on that. And that's what, that's what help gets, helps get me by, you know, like I, I'm, I want to be a good person overall. I want to be an ally to those who, you know, obviously don't see there's, I mean, I have my own family members that have, gotten through life on white privilege and it's just they don't see it at all and they and it's they don't recognize the the impact on on everything and it's just it's it's sad uh i've been talking to my niece lately about a lot of things she doesn't talk to her to her mother anymore who's my sister who is uh fucking completely bonkers uh my sister's i don't understand her perspective on anything it's very uh maybe bipolar or schizophrenic or or something but it's just um beyond anything that i mean i i have been through some fucked up mental health shit and ptsd and all these things included it doesn't excuse behavior yeah you know and when I see other people out there like getting by with their excuses and actually getting ahead, you know, or using or manipulating other people to get ahead, that's when it really bugs me. You know, like it's I, I, I'm here suffering sometimes doing my own thing, but I'm not trying to use other people to you know, get more money or get support in different ways for whatever, you know, and it's my sister claims to be a PhD, a doctor. And I know for a fact, she's never gotten a degree in anything. So it's like, she's using people and manipulating them and being on talk shows and shit like that. And it's, it's, fucking weird man like how do people get by in life just straight up lying to everyone it's it's fucking weird man like i don't get it yeah um unfortunately that, that, i think that's that, it's i understand what you mean it, it's it's frustrating i think some of the things i remember is twofold i think um I'm not karma. No, I'm not one of these people. I was just going to say that I'm not one of these people who's like the truth will come out. I'm not that person. I will say, however, that many people who uh, oftentimes when you uh, impersonate an expert, the key difference between you and an expert is that an expert has years of experience being an expert, whereas you are just impersonating that. So eventually uh, there's going to be a point where an expert will do or say something uh, because of their experience, whereas you will not know to do or say that, and it will become 
blindingly obvious that you're not an expert. Uh, having mm -hmm. said that, I think that uh, there are there will always be people in the world who lie. Um, I have just resolved in my mind and in my heart that while I 100% uh, cannot control them, I can control me and I can make the resolution to myself that I will not lie and that I can do right by everyone that I meet. Because ultimately at the end of the day, when I go to sleep, I have to only really worry about myself and I need to be able to go to sleep uh, with, with a clear conscience. And I would hope that, you know, when I die, I, I have some regrets. I keep saying I don't have any, but I got them. But I would <laughs> hope that when I die, I can at least pass knowing like, you know, what, I did my best and I, I may not have done always the quote unquote right thing uh, overall, but I always tried to do the right thing. And I my understanding may have changed over time where I realized, OK, well, I, I thought this was right, but I, I know now that was wrong. I always can say that my intentions were correct. And that I was, it, my heart was in the right place. It was never me being like, I'm out here to do harm. It was me trying not to do harm and maybe not understanding uh, enough to avoid it. So I feel like that's really the only concern I have. As far as people who live their lives that way, like I said, I if I see it and I can expose it, uh, I will just to help other people not fall down a, a, a cumbersome path. But uh, in most cases, a lot of times what I try to do is control what I have, which is, is my life and my decisions. And I try not to spend too much time dwelling on the things that I cannot control and that uh, I do not have. Though it is difficult. It is. Yeah, definitely. All right, man. Well, I, th I think we can wrap up here. Um, okay. Let's see a special note to everyone about mental health. If you're struggling, don't give up. Your life matters and you are worthy of love and acceptance. If you need meds to get through your day, that's okay. If you need to take time to yourself, that's okay. If you're not feeling okay, that's okay too. Just don't give up. Please reach out if you need help. There's no shame in asking for help. Um, we can't do this alone. Uh, we never should be alone if a... If, if modern technology and fast-paced modern capitalist society hadn't evolved to where it is today, then we'd never be alone. But the uh, bunch of other crap I wrote down, I'm not going to say all that. Uh, please just don't give up. Um, reach out to anyone because, um, you know, the, the, the reason of this podcast is to let everyone know that Everyone has a place and we all have been through shit and it's, it's difficult life. And I, I feel for all of you out there who may be listening or may not be listening. I hope you do listen. Um, but if you are struggling, know that you are not alone. And that's the whole point. I just don't want anyone to feel like they're alone. And I, I want to um, offer myself if you need to reach out to me please do um i'm here to talk to anyone and everyone um, about whatever scenario is going on in your life um jay thanks for being on here again i really yeah. appreciate you uh coming on and and sharing awesome. your perspective um we have awesome discussions i, I love having you on here it's uh it's just, i just love talking to you man <laughs> 
No, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I always have fun when I come with the show. Uh, I feel like we we always end up um, starting off one place and ending in a place, another place. But I'm always happy about the journey and how we got there. That's what it's awesome. all about, man. Yeah, traveling together, man. <laughs> That's what life is, you know. We just we travel and we, yeah. you know, even if we're sitting in one place, you know, we're, we're it's, still it's on, all, it, on the same planet, going around the sun together. It's always a journey, you know, day to day. So, uh, everyone, thank you for listening to the show. Um, if you uh, would like to check out the social media, I have a link tree wormhole underscore manifest that has a link to all the uh, social media sites and stuff. If you would like to email us wormhole manifest at gmail.com, um, send us an email and we will try to get you on the show or whatever you want to do. Um, if you have any questions, just reach out. Um, yeah, I think that's about it. So, uh, any last words, Jay, do you want to shout out anybody or, uh, uh, Oh, shout out V. Uh, v, yeah. yeah, shout out V. <laughs> Always great to to give V a shout out. Um, and I guess also while I'm thinking about it, uh, shout out to you. Thank you so much. And also Rachel, I haven't I haven't seen Rachel in a while, but shout out to Rachel as well. Hi. Um, and uh, oh, one more person. Let's shout out Rashani just because I I haven't I haven't shouted him out in a while. So yeah, that those yeah, are my shout outs. Rashani. Yeah, man, I haven't talked to him in so long. He's busy. He's got a lot of stuff happening. A lot of a lot of kids and a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> He's got. A yeah, lot. I see that. You know, like it's just so. I was like so in touch with him like five or six years ago, and it was mm-hmm. just like back just, and yeah. forth. And I was learning stuff, you know. And then 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 I had like a mental break like three years ago or so, and I like cut him off for some strange reason, and I was like what the fuck did I do? Like I, I cut off all these people that I actually liked. And I was like, why did I do that? Yeah. It, was it happens. Terrible. Sometimes you're just, you're just making decisions and you're not sure why I, I get it, but no, he, he's, he's good. Uh, last time I talked to him, I think uh, his wife uh, just graduated like nursing school. Uh, his son oh, is wow. at AAU. Uh, he, he's got a, a lot of stuff happening. His, his catering business is still going. He's got a lot of st- huge things happening. Uh, podcasting still, I, I believe. So yeah, he's he's uh yeah. It was the that was a great my, podcast too. The, the single simulcast. Yeah, yeah, single simulcast is a really great podcast. But yeah, he's my brother and busy. We both uh, always have too many things happening at once. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I need to reach out to him soon. Like it's uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, I I I was like uh having like a moment of clarity. I'm on the um, show. You should just like uh uh. uh maybe a year or so ago. And I just, I made this huge like public statement on like Facebook. I think it was. And I was like, I treated this person. Like I was a complete asshole. And you know, it's cause like him and my wife, Rachel go back way back and, and they were like friends and, you know, and she like looked up to him so much um, because he's a, a great person, you know, yeah. he's just a person that you can exemplify. And I felt kind of a jealous thing you know and it was like very dumb and i was just like oh no that's understandable i was like you look up to this person and he he does all this stuff and that's cool you know but like what am i doing and then i'm like (laughs) not doing anything honestly if i look back at myself and i'm like god i'm just such a fuck up you know like what (laughs) i think sometimes too like especially when it comes to relationships we feel like we have to be everything to our partners and that's not necessarily the case 
Uh, you're not going to be everything to your partner because you're a human being and you can only be so many things. So, like, I mean, you're not going to be, uh, I mean, maybe at some point you will be uh, Rachel's podcast hero, but at that point you weren't. <laughs> Uh, you know, at, at that point, right. you you hadn't begun podcasting, and so I think it's sometimes it's it's this this desire to be like everything uh, to to your partner. Like I'm going to be every human being you admire or care about, and and that just doesn't make sense because there are so many other people right. that they admire and care about. It's, so it's just yeah, and 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 it's totally understandable because I was not in reality back then either. You know, like it just wasn't things did not click. You know. Yeah the path that from a to B was, you know, I want I'm going to go to Z first and then go to B. Like it was just all over the place and completely chaotic and it's big mess. And, and, and that's why I say like health, mental health is so important. People need to take care of themselves and we need to reach out and get help when we need, you know, if we feel it, it's like, it's so difficult and it's, it's a difficult path that we run down and we, we make mistakes, but you know, we can't beat ourselves up. We need to learn from them and move on and, and do the best we can. Yeah. So agreed. Yeah. Sorry, right, Jay. Thanks man. We'll yeah. uh, talk to you later. Great. Everybody else out there. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, check out our website and email and all that stuff. And uh, we'll see you the next time around. Got lots of great topics coming up lots of stuff on the schedule so stay tuned <laughs>